Welcome to the legacy teachings of Bill Anzavino, pastor of Christian Assembly Church since 1979. Though these teachings are decades old, we invite you to get out your Bible, take notes, and get ready to receive the uncompromised teaching of God's Word. For more information about Christian Assembly Church, please visit us online at cafamily.net. 1 Samuel chapter 17. In verse 36, our Heavenly Father, as we approach your word, we do so with reverence and humility, opening our hearts to the teaching ministry of the Holy Ghost, inviting him to instruct us in the word of life and to change us accordingly. That we may rise up as doers of the word and not hearers only. Walking in the light of the knowledge of the glory of God. Fulfilling your purpose and plan upon this earth. We set ourselves as an act of our will to receive from your word in spirit, soul, and body. We believe, dear Father God, to see your glory in manifestation. Your word will accomplish that which you please. It will prosper in the thing whereto you sent it. And Father, we believe that you'll be glorified in all that's said and done. As our faith, dear Father, grows by leaps and bounds, that we may continue to please you with our lives upon this earth. Now we praise you for all that's accomplished in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. In verse 36, you'll notice David said, Thy servant slew both the lion and the bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be as one of them, seeing he hath defied the armies of the living God. I want to reiterate the fact that David slew Goliath the lion and the bear, with faith-filled words. I realize that he took stones with him to kill Goliath, but actually it was faith-filled words that enabled him to overcome the giant. Well, how does one develop that kind of faith? The faith that believes that God will show up on the scene. Whether you're facing a lion... How many of you know that David was no match in the natural for a lion? Whether you're facing a bear. How many of you know that David was no match in the natural for a bear? Or facing a giant, the giants of life. How many of you know that David was no match for that mighty giant Goliath in the natural? But he said, I'm not coming against you with a spear or with a sword or any protective armor. I'm coming against you in the name of the Lord of hosts. And being an uncircumcised Philistine, he will deliver you into mine hands. And then he said what he would do to him. He would take off his head and he did. Well, how does one develop that kind of faith? Was David being presumptuous like some say? Today, those who speak out saying that God will do something for them. Was David putting God in a box like some say, well, those faith people, they think they've got God in their hip pocket. They could put him in a little box and anything that, you know, they want him to do, he's going to do for them. Or was uh, David ignoring the fact of God's sovereignty? God's a sovereign God, David, and if he didn't want to show up on the scene and defend you, then he wouldn't have had to. Beloved, you don't go face a lion, a bear... Or Goliath on maybes. Mites. There's a slim chance or possibility. 
I don't know if he will show up to help me, but there's a good chance he might, so I'll just go out and do it. No, that, that does not produce great faith. How many of you know that? David said, the God that delivered me out of the hand of the lion and the bear, he will deliver me out of your hand. Now, how does he develop that kind of faith? Well, the key word is found there in verse 36, uncircumcised. Turn with me, if you would, please, to the book of Genesis, chapter 17. And I want to point out to us that uncircumcised means David recognized that Goliath did not have a covenant with the living God. And it's apparent, or should be apparent to us, that David knew that he had a covenant with the living God. And the way he developed great faith in this living God was through discovering what the covenant provided for him and then acting like it was true. Believing God. Believing that God had to do what he said he would do. No ands, no ifs, no buts, no maybes, no mites. David knew that God had to do what he said he would do in his word. Because David knew the value and the significance of having a covenant with the living God. He also knew the significance of not having a covenant with the living God. And therefore he knew that as far as Goliath was concerned, he was defenseless. He had no might, no power to combat the living God. David knew he was protected and empowered by the might of the Most High God. Not because David was better than Goliath, but because Goliath chose not to enter into the covenant that God made with Israel. But David chose to enter into that covenant and find out what the covenant provided. And in doing so, he developed a kind of faith that knew that God would have to do what he said he would do. He wasn't ignoring the sovereignty of God he clearly understood the sovereignty of God and acted accordingly. And I'll explain that further in just a, in a moment. But I want you to notice Genesis chapter 17, beginning at verse 1. When Abram was 90 years old and nine, the Lord appeared to Abram and said unto him, I am the Almighty God. Walk before me and be thou perfect. I'll make my covenant between me and thee and will multiply thee exceedingly. And Abram fell on his face and got talked with him, saying, As for me, behold, my covenant is with thee, and that thou shalt... Thou shalt be a father of many nations, neither shall thy name any more be called Abram, but thy name shall be Abraham, for a father of many nations have I made thee, and I will make thee exceeding fruitful, I will make nations of thee, and kings shall come out of thee, and I will establish my covenant between me and thee, and thy seed after thee in their generations for an everlasting covenant to be a God unto thee, and to thy seed after thee, and I will give unto thee and to thy seed after thee the land wherein thou art a stranger, and all, all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. And God said unto Abraham, Thou shalt keep my covenant, therefore thou and thy seed after thee in their generations. This is my covenant which ye shall keep between me and you and thy seed after thee. Every man-child among you shall be circumcised. And ye shall circumcise the flesh of your foreskin, and it shall be a token of the covenant betwixt me and you. And he that is eight days old shall be circumcised among you, every man-child in your generations. 
He that is born in the house or bought with money of any stranger which is not of thy seed. He that is born in thy house and he that is bought with thy money must needs be circumcised and my covenant shall be in your flesh for an everlasting covenant. And the uncircumcised man child whose flesh of his foreskin is not circumcised, that soul shall be cut off from his people. He hath broken my covenant. I want you to notice that God who is sovereign. Will you agree with me that God is sovereign? In His sovereignty, made a decision to enter into a covenant relationship with mankind. In His sovereignty, and sovereignty means supreme authority. He can do as He pleases. He can do as He wills. Isn't that true? Well, in His sovereignty, He made a decision to enter into a covenant relationship with the human race. Actually, here with Abraham, which... Of course, went on to be Israel. Now, you know as well as I do that God chose to do this as an act of His will because He chose to reveal Himself to Abraham. Abraham wasn't out there looking for God. So this is something that God did. And if He's sovereign, He can do it. But now here's the point. In His sovereignty, God chose to be bound to His Word. God made a decision to be bound to His Word. In other words, before making a covenant, he would see to it that he clearly defined what he wanted to do, what his position was, what the benefits were, what the promises would be. Before ever establishing his covenant, before ever speaking his word and putting it out there for man, he figured it all out in his mind. He knew exactly what he would do, and then he established a covenant. And he was not going to give something he didn't want to give, and he wasn't going to say he would do something that he didn't want to do. So let's remember that when we talk about the sovereignty of God, in His sovereignty, He chose to bind Himself to His Word. And He exalted His Word above His name. Now, just briefly and and quick review, for those who may not have been here on Wednesday night, a covenant is a legal document or agreement with carefully defined promises, benefits, or privileges, or pledges. That's what a covenant is. It is a legal document. It is something that, by law, should not and cannot be broken without suffering certain consequences. Now, I'm not saying it can't be broken, because it can, but you'll suffer certain consequences if you violate the agreement. How many of you know that when you pay for your car, your car payment or your mortgage payment, that you've entered into a legal contract with, a, a, let's say, a bank or an ins- a lending institution, and they give you a certain amount of money, and you agreed to pay a certain amount of money, and if you violate your part of the bargain or the contract, then, of course, they have a right to come and repossess the possession, whether it's the car or the house or whatever, because it's a legal document. Well, beloved, God believes in legal documents. But when it comes to a blood covenant, we have to understand that all the negotiations are backed up by the life of the individual covenant heads. You don't forfeit your your car or your automobile or or, or your uh, house or whatever. You forfeit your life if you violate this covenant. You forfeit your life if you break the covenant as a covenant head, as a part of that covenant. 
And so, why would God want to enter into a covenant relationship with the human race knowing that certain things He would provide, certain privileges that would be stated, certain promises, certain benefits that He would say are theirs, those belong to the people of the covenant, if He didn't want to bless them or if He was going to renege on what He said He would do? God wouldn't do something like that. He's more intelligent than that. If He can't perform, why is He going to promise? God makes promises that He's well capable of performing. God makes statements that He's well capable of making good. God provides what He has to offer and to give. And beloved, the fact that He promises it, the fact that He provides it, proves to us that He wants to give it. Can you see that? The whole purpose of the covenant, beloved, was not to demonstrate the integrity of God but to remove all doubt from our minds because we're the ones that, that have the problem of doubt and unbelief. Can you see that? We suffer from that. God's never lied, but you, yet, you know what? People still don't believe Him. I said God has never told a lie. As a matter of fact, He's backed up His Word on every occasion, every occasion and He's done things that were predicted years ahead. He did all those things years down the road somewhere in advance, and you know what? They all came true. Every single one of the promises of God came true. Every prophecy, that everything was predicted, it all came true. And if you try to figure that out with the human mind, it's, it's bizarre. I mean, you just can't even think it through. He's never told one lie, yet we doubt Him. Shame on us. Covenant is that legal document containing certain carefully defined pledges, promises, or benefits... It's a legal binding thing, and if God does not come through, then God has told a lie. And he said, I'm not a man to lie, the son of man to repent. If I said it, I'll do it. If I spoke it, I'll make it good. He said in Psalm 89, 34, my covenant will I not break or alter the thing that's gone out of my mouth. If I said it, because I'm a sovereign God, I'm letting you know that you can believe I will perform what I said. No ands, no ifs. No buts about it. Because if I didn't want to do it, I wouldn't have said it and then sealed it with blood. Because if I don't come through, I violate a blood covenant relationship, I forfeit what? My life. Can you see what that does to your faith life? You know, most Christians don't understand what it means to be in a covenant relationship with God. But beloved, the covenant relationship with God is the underlying principle of the New Testament. It is our contract with God. It is our contact with God. It is the basis upon which every answer to prayer comes. Do you realize that? See, the reason why many can't pray in faith because they don't understand that the blood covenant is the basis upon which every prayer is answered. And every prayer is prayed. If we understood that, It would take prayer out of the realm of uncertainty and put it in the realm of certainty like David was when he said, you're an uncircumcised Philistine. You have no covenant with God. I have a covenant with God. If I go out to fight you, God stands behind me. 
God fights for me. God defends me. And you're not bigger than my God. You don't know who's going to help you. I know who's going to help me. And you know what? The God that delivered me out of the hand of the lion and the bear, the one who empowered me, enabled me to overcome, He is the same God that will deliver you into my hand. No uncertainty. No doubt. No unbelief. He will. Can you see how that satisfies us when it comes to God's sovereignty? That explains the sovereignty of God. God wouldn't have said it if He didn't want to do it. So since He said it and sealed it by the blood, He has to do it now. Or become a liar and forfeit His life. Can you see that? Does that remove doubt and unbelief? Well, you know that it does. It absolutely does without without doubt. Well, beloved, now I want to show you that. I'm going to reiterate this and then we're going to move on to where we left off in, in the book of Hebrews. God did not do this for himself. He knew he was a God of integrity. He knew he would never lie. He knew he would back up everything he said. He knew all that. But we don't know that because we don't know God. They didn't know God. Abraham didn't know that God would, would perform everything he said. Do you see that? He didn't know that. But he understood covenant relationships. Abraham did. A blood covenant relationship is nothing more than a ritual where two individuals, let's say covenant heads come together in terms of agreement, and then they seal it by blood. They become blood brothers. As a result of becoming blood brothers after having this particular ceremony, it means all I have is yours and all you have is mine. All my strengths are yours and all my weaknesses also. So if I'm rich, then you have my money. But if I'm, and I'm strong, you have my strength. If you're weak, you need my strength, don't you? If you're poor, you need my, my finances, don't you? But one may be rich, and the other one may be strong. And so, I need your strength, you need my money. Let's come together, we have both strength, power, and money. And we're all going to benefit from that. Can you see that? So that's why one would want to enter into a relationship of blood, blood covenant relationship with the other, because they all have, both have something to give and offer each other. When they come together, they become a more powerful force, do they not? They seal it by blood, and they can't violate it. So you're hungry and you need money? I'm obligated to give it to you. So now I'm threatened, my life's being threatened, you have the power and the strength to protect me, and you're going to come and help me, because we're blood partners. I won't violate my part of, of, of the covenant, will you? No, because I forfeit my life if I do. You see how important this is? Well, you say, well, what did Abraham have to offer God? An avenue into the earth. God doesn't have any needs. Yes, he did. He needed an avenue into the earth. And the only way that God could get into the earth is by a legal channel. Remember Jesus said in John 10, the thief, he comes in through the wrong door deceitfully. Remember that? But he said the, the, the good shepherd, the great shepherd, he comes in through the legal channel. What was the legal channel? Birth. But how was the seed going to get into the earth? It goes all the way back to Genesis 3 when he said, his, her seed, the seed of the woman. Now it's the seed of Abraham. You see that? God needs an avenue into the earth. And that's going to be the legal channel of birth. Satan tried to get into the earth, but illegally. He came in the back door as a thief. He doesn't come in through the legal channel. Do you see that? When he got a hold of Adam, causing him to sin. Now listen carefully. God came into the earth and he needed a channel to get into the earth. And Abraham had that to offer. If he would walk uprightly before God and serve him with his life. And so God says, I'll make a covenant with you. I need access into the earth and you need me. Well, 
What did Abraham need? God says, I'm telling you, I'll be to you, I'll Shaddai. I'll be all you need. If you only give me an avenue into the earth. And we'll get to that in a minute. But can you see that God wanted to make a covenant relationship because he wanted to redeem mankind from the fall. But to do so, he had to get the seed into the earth. And the only way he can do that is through the human race. And so he pulls out Abraham and says, I introduce myself to you as El Shaddai, the God of plenty. I'm more than enough, all, all sufficient one, the high and breasty and lofty one. And all you ever need in life, I'll give to you if you only give me your life and let me get into the earth through your seed. Abraham says, okay. And that's the covenant in Genesis that he made with Abraham, an everlasting covenant with him and his seed forever. Well, now here in Hebrews chapter 6, I want you to notice Hebrews 6. I want you to notice in verse 13, for when God made promise to Abraham because he could swear by no greater, he swore by himself. When he made this covenant with Abraham... There was no one else that he can swear by that was greater than he. And so he swore by himself. God made this covenant saying, Surely, blessing will I bless thee, and multiplying I will multiply thee. And so after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. For men swear by the greater, and an oath for confirmation is to them an end of all strife. In other words, when men want to settle an issue, they swear by the greater. And because of the oath and because of swearing by an oath, then they know that the truth is being told and there is integrity. Do you see that? And that puts an end to all strife. This is the way it is. It's like when you go into a court of law. Supposedly, when they swear to tell the whole truth, what they're saying is they're really they're, they're forfeiting their life if they lie. They don't know that. But they're forfeiting their life if they lie. That kind of gets somebody to tell the truth. But can you see that God, I want you to see this. God, in verse 17, were in God willing more abundantly to show unto the heirs of promise. God wanted to show us that he could be trusted, that he would do everything he said he would do, that every promise, every benefit, every pledge, uh, every privilege of the covenant would be supported by the government of heaven. All the supreme court of heaven, all the armies of, of, of the heavens, the angelic host, the power of the most high God, everything, every resource that God has, he is saying, will stand behind every promise, every pledge, every benefit, every statement of fact. Any word that's proceeded out of my mouth will be backed up by the whole armies of heaven. God more willing to let us know that he would honor his word. Look at what it says. To show under the heirs of promise, and that's us, the immutability of his counsel or his unchanging word. Heaven and earth will pass away, but God's word will never pass away. Confirmed it. And that word confirmed means to remove all doubt. Have you been warring with doubt? Do you want doubt removed from your mind and from your heart? Listen carefully. This is the way God removes doubt. This is the way we'll get doubt removed from our lives. God willing more abundantly to show the heirs of promise, the immutability of his counsel, confirmed it. The word confirm means to remove all doubt by an authoritative act or by an indisputable fact. To remove all doubt from our minds by an authoritative act or by an indisputable fact. And what is it? Oh, he already told us. 
that by two immutable things in which it was impossible for God to lie, we might have a strong faith who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope which is set before us. And this is the, these are the two immutable things. Number one, God swore by an oath. Number two, God cannot lie. In other words, swearing by an oath means God, in His sovereignty, elected to go into a, a blood covenant relationship with the human race to let us know that we don't have to doubt whether or not He'll do what He said He would do. To know that if He said He'll perform something, He'll perform it. And then the Bible says that God watches over His Word to perform it. So shall my word be that goes out of my mouth, it shall not return to me void. Isn't that what God said? My covenant will I not break. Now listen carefully. Nor alter the word that's gone out of my lips. Unchangeableness, the immutability of God's counsel. If I said it, there's no changing. That means even in His sovereignty, He can't change it if it's sealed by an oath. Am I explaining that enough? See, people war with the sovereignty of God. Well, if God doesn't want to heal me, He doesn't have to. Wait a minute, I beg your pardon. That's like saying if God doesn't want to save someone, He doesn't have to. You know, God can take the most vile sinner. Somebody who is, I'm telling you, just just the lowest scum on the face of the earth. in, In the sight of humanity. Somebody you wouldn't even want to give the time of day to. And someone you'd, you'd be glad that they'd be cursed into eternal damnation. And that person can be on his deathbed or on a cross next to the Savior. Do you realize that? And if that person says, oh God, I'm, I'm the most vile sinner that's ever lived. I rehearsed my life before you and there is not a thing good about my life. And all that I've done is worthy of eternal damnation in the lake fire that burns forever and ever. But I just discovered that Jesus died for my sins. And before I leave this life, I'm asking that you save my soul and cleanse me by his blood. You know what? God has to. I said God has to. He has to save that soul. Why? Because he already made a promise. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Whosoever. Not whosoever is good enough. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That sinner on the cross next to Jesus, he had no life to offer Jesus. Did he? He couldn't take up his cross and follow Jesus because he's about to die. He he could not offer that I'll serve you, I'll live for you, I'll do all these different things for you if you'll save me. He had nothing to offer, nothing to give. He couldn't make any restitution for any wrongdoing. He just said, Lord, remember me when you enter in your kingdom. And he was saved. Oh, the mercy of our God. But you see, God's being faithful to the blood. Now, David slew Goliath with the blood of goats and bulls and heifers. And... But, beloved, we have the blood of Jesus Christ. The blood of the new and everlasting covenant. And God wanted to make it clear to us, look, I want you to know that I'll back up my word. I want you to know that if I said it, I'll do it. And to prove it to you, to eradicate all doubt from your heart and mind, I'll seal it by an oath. I will swear by myself. And beloved, when the blood was shed and ratified and the new covenant went into effect, you realize every pledge, every promise, 
Every benefit of that covenant belongs to anyone and whosoever will. And God has already bound himself to do all that he said he would do. It's not a matter of if he wills. He willed it and he did it. And if, you read the, if you've ever read the will, the last will and testament of Jesus, it's enforced after the testator dies, right? Isn't that when it goes into force? After the testator is dead and gone? So how can it be changed? It's the unchangeableness. If God said it has to be done. All one has to do then is receive it. Now turn with me and I'm going to show you how powerful this is. And we kind of closed with this and didn't really look at it carefully. Exodus chapter 32 shows us that even if God wants to change his mind, thinks about changing his mind, would like to change his mind, strongly wants to change his mind, is itchy to change his mind, is chopping at the bit to change his mind, even though he's God and he's sovereign because of the covenant, he can't. And he won't. Exodus 32 and verse 7. You recall that Israel always got themselves into trouble because they broke the covenant or violated the covenant or they got into sin and just strayed away from God. And they're always getting themselves in a mess straying from the Lord. In verse 7, it says, And the Lord said unto Moses, Go get thee down. For thy people which thou broughtest out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. I want you to underline or highlight or circle the word thy and thou in that verse 7. It said here, the Lord said to Moses, go get thee down for your people. Which you brought out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. Moses, your people... Moses, if I recall correctly, Moses could have said, I didn't ask for that bush to get set ablaze. I told you back then, who am I that you're going to send me? My people that I deliver? I told you I want to have nothing to do with it. I didn't want to have anything at all to do with delivering these people. He could have said, well, he does get to that. Let's read on. They have turned aside quickly out of the way which I commanded them. They have made them a molten calf and have worshipped it and have sacrificed thereunto and said, These be thy gods, O Israel, which have brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. And the Lord said unto Moses, I have seen this people, and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. Now, therefore, let me alone. You ever tell your mate? Just don't bother me. Let me just be angry. Or walk away from an employee or an employer or whatever and just say, I just don't bother me right now. I just, I just want to stay angry. <laughs> That's what God was saying. Look, let me alone that my wrath may wax hot against them. To put it in our language, God was burning. He was burning up with anger. He was angry. He was upset. And that I may consume them, and I will make of thee, Moses, a great nation. Just don't bother me. Just don't bother. Let me alone. This is what I'm going to plan to do. 
I'm so angry with them. I'm going to wipe them off the face of the earth. And Moses, we'll start over again. Well, God's sovereign, isn't he? Can he do that if he wants to? Well, I guess if you look at sovereignty one way, he can. But if you read on, you'll find out he can't do it. And we'll see why. Look at the next verse. And Moses besought the Lord his God and said, Lord, why does your anger wax hot against your people? Pretty smart, Moses. Whose people were they? God said they were Moses. Nobody wants these people. Nobody wants them. You ever feel that way? Nobody wants me. Nobody wants me. God says they're yours. Moses says they're God's. Whose are they? Who they belong to? Now notice, which you has brought out of the land of Egypt. I thought God said Moses brought them out. And Moses says, no, God, you brought them out. With a mighty hand, with great power and with a mighty hand. Wherefore should the Egyptians speak and say, for mischief did he bring them out? To slay them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth. Turn from thy fierce wrath. This is Moses speaking to God. Can you imagine this? This is Moses speaking to God and says, turn from your fierce wrath and repent of this evil against your people. I mean, you ever try to tell somebody like, talk to someone like that who's already angry? But that's what he tells them. Remember, here's the key word. You will notice it all goes back to the covenant. Beloved, to understand the Bible is to know that there are two covenants. The Bible consists of two covenants, the old and the new. The Abrahamic covenant and the new covenant in Jesus' blood. And that's how we understand the Bible. And if we don't understand the covenant... And covenant talk and covenant relationship, we're going to be lost and we're not going to have great faith. You will notice that Moses intercedes for the people of Israel on the strength of the covenant. And we said the covenant is the basis upon which every prayer is answered. Prayed or answered. And he says, remember Abraham. Remember Isaac. And remember Israel, your servants, to whom thou what? Thou swearest. Can you see what Moses is doing? He is reminding God of the fact you swore by an oath to Abraham. And you know what? Abraham's dead. And Abraham didn't violate the covenant. And your covenant is with Abraham. And so you know what? You've got to honor your covenant with Abraham. Abraham's not here to defend himself. Think about what God did. Entering into a covenant with a man who would someday die, leave the realm of earth, and then still be in covenant with people on the earth because of Abraham, and now he can't do anything about it. He says, remember, Abraham, Isaac, Israel, your servants to whom you swearest by thine own self. God is reminding, I mean, being reminded by Moses that he swore by an oath. He made a covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Israel. And you said, I will multiply your seed as the stars of heaven. And all this land that I have spoken of will I give unto your seed. And they shall inherit it forever. And the Lord repented. Amen. 
Now, that's strong. I said, that's strong. And the Lord repented of the evil which he thought to do unto his people. I want you to see something here. Because if you go on reading the rest of that, you know what you'll discover? That the ones that were, were guilty of violating this covenant and, and committing idolatry, you know what happened to them? They got the plague and died. I'm not saying you can violate the covenant and get away with it. I'm saying, ultimately, God said He would raise up a people and out of the seed of Abraham and His loins would all the people of the earth be blessed. And you know what? God couldn't annihilate all those people. He could not break what He said there. But since they violated the covenant, yes, when they sinned against it, they were guilty and there were consequences for violating the covenant. But God could not go back on His Word and raise up a new people out of Moses because He already made a covenant with Abraham and Abraham's dead. And so, like it or not, he's got to deal with those people. Do you see that? The seed of Abraham. He's got to deal with those people. He can't go back on that word. God cannot lie. So God then repented of the evil which he thought to do to his people. And he goes on, and if you just read on there, that's when he begins to remind Moses. Go to chapter 23. He tells Moses in verse 1, And the Lord said to Moses, Depart, go and go up hence. Thou and the people which thou hast brought out of the land of Egypt, and the land which I swear unto Abraham. Notice God now comes back and realizes he's got to keep his covenant. I swear to Abraham, I swore to Isaac, I swore to Jacob, saying, Under thy seed will I give it, and I will send an angel before thee. I will drive out the Canaanite. Why is God saying he'll do all this? Because he made a vow to Abraham. Can you see that? God, if he had his way in his sovereignty, would have wiped them off the earth. But God couldn't have his way into sovereignty because he was bound to his word. And he had to keep his word to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And that is repeated and reiterated time and time and time and time and time again throughout all the Bible. God swore and he can't go back on that. And so, beloved, if we know what God swears do, can you see what kind of tremendous faith that will produce in the heart of the child of God? God said it. Come on, David, how do you know that God will be there by your side to kill the lion? Because he said so. Come on, David, how do you know that God's going to help you slay the bear? Because he said so. David, how do you know all these warriors are here? Saul is here. Look how big he is. How do you know God will help you overcome Goliath? Because I have a covenant with the Most High God. And he said so. They just didn't know it. But David knew it. And he swore by an oath. And you know what? He'll defend me. That's how you get great faith. If you don't know your covenant, you don't know your rights and privileges, you can't have great faith. If you know God will do what He said He'll do, He'll perform it because He has to perform it, that produces great faith. And like I said, if it's an issue of sovereignty, if God said it in His sovereignty, He has to perform it. Because He bound Himself in His sovereignty by His Word. By a covenant that He can't alter or change. And that's the indisputable act, fact. Do you see that? That is the authoritative act, an indisputable fact, upon which we build our faith. So we can have a strong consolation, and that just means faith, in God. And that's how we get strong faith in God. Okay, brother, but you have to understand, this is the old covenant. He's talking about driving them out. Of, look at verse 2. I will send an angel before thee. I'll drive out the Canaanite, the Amorite, the Hittite, the Perizzite, the Hivite, the Jebusite, unto a land flowing with milk and honey. For I'll not go up in the midst of, these, of thee, for thou art a stiff-necked people, lest I consume thee in the way. And when the people heard these evil tidings, they mourned. Now, now wait a minute. Let's stop right there. Did you, ever, did you see that before? God is saying, I don't, I'm not going to go with you. 
I've got to do it. Can you see God is saying, I have to do this because I swore by an oath? But you're stiff-necked people. I don't even want to be near you. Because if I'm near you, I'll consume you. Now, wouldn't you tell me that in his own sovereignty, he wanted to kill him? Can you, is that message getting clear to, becoming clear to us? God wanted to wipe him out. Can you see that here? But I've got to do what I said I would do, and I can't go back on my word, so I'll send an angel. Angel will go before you. And when the people heard these evil tidings, they mourned, and no man did put on his garments, or his ornaments. For the Lord said unto Moses, saying to the children of Israel, You are stiff-necked people. I will come up into the midst of, the, of thee in a moment, and consume thee. Therefore now put off thy ornaments, and then it goes on. But I want you to notice that, that there are those who think that this, just because this is talking about Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Israel, that it's all Old Testament and it has nothing to do with the child of God. God wanted to bring them to a literal land that flows with milk and honey where He can bless them and be their God. Well, beloved, let me share with you. There is a spiritual Canaan's land also. And that's for us today. And I want to show you that that belongs to you just as much as that belonged to them. Turn with me, if you would, please, to the book of Galatians, because whether we realize it or not, when God made this promise to Abraham, he had us in mind. I said he had us in mind. He had us in mind. Galatians chapter 3, beginning at verse 7. I read an article. I read, let's say, in a commentary. Let me put it that way. This is why, oh, it just troubles me to read all these commentaries. I read it in a commentary that said... And this is for teaching, a teaching course, a teaching class to teach people in Sunday school class and all that. You know, and sometimes we wonder about those things, and I wonder, it amazes me. As I read that article, it said this. We have a different contract with God than what they had back under the Old Testament. And they said, we can't expect to experience the, the blessings that the patriarchs had because we're not under that contractual agreement that they had. And it went on to say ours is a better covenant. It has better promises. But we can't expect to receive all the promises that they had back then. Because they were patriarchs and we're not. I thought, dear Lord. No, we're not patriarchs. We're sons. And daughters. Of the Most High God. And then I read this too. And I like to say, I like to find a person that wrote that article and just say, would you read Galatians 3 with me please? Let's start at verse 7. Open up your Bible, put your commentary away. Look at verse 7. Know ye therefore that they which are of faith the same are the children of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the heathen through faith, preached before the gospel unto Abraham, saying, In thee shall all nations be blessed. So then they which be of faith are blessed with faithful Abraham. Does that sound like we don't have Abraham's blessings? For as many are as of the works of the law are under the curse, for it is written, Curses everyone that continueth not in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. But that no man is justified by the law in the sight of God, it is evident, for the just shall live faith. And the law is not of faith, but the man that doeth them shall live in them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For it is written, Curses everyone that hangeth on a tree, that the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through Jesus Christ, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Well, hold on here. What does he mean? We don't have the benefits and the promises that Abraham had. It says it right here. He was a patriarch, yes. 
But God wanted the blessings of Abraham to come upon all of us. Now listen, let's read on. Brethren, I speak after the manner of men, though it be but a man's covenant, yet if it be confirmed, no man disannulleth or addeth thereto. Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He saith not, and the seeds as of many, but as of one, and to thy seed, which is Christ. And this I say, that the covenant that was confirmed before of God in Christ, the law which was 430 years after cannot disannul, that it should make the promise of none effect. For if the inheritance be of the law, it is no more a promise, but God gave it to Abraham by promise. Now, you remember way back in Genesis 17 where he said there, I'll make my covenant with you and your seed forever. And he says, and I will be your God. I'll be your God and your, and your seed, the God of your seed forever. Okay. Here, we discover that the seed he was talking about was Christ. Christ would be the seed he was referring to. He made a covenant with Abraham so that his seed, Jesus, could come into the earth the old covenant would be fulfilled, and in Christ, the new covenant would be enforced. And so the blessings then of Abraham would pass on to those who were of the seed of Abraham, those who are in Christ. And let's read on. And in verse 19, wherefore then serveth the law? Well, the law was added because of transgression. The Mosaic law was added to the Abrahamic covenant because they were sinning against God, and they didn't, didn't know how to define sin. And so with the adding of the Mosaic law to the covenant that God made with Abraham, it wasn't so they can get saved by the law. For salvation was going to come and justification was going to come through faith just as it came to Abraham by faith. Abraham didn't have a law. He lived by the law of faith. Can you see that? The law was added 430 years later. Why? To serve, first of all, because of transgressions and also, secondly, to serve as a schoolmaster or a teacher to teach us about Jesus Christ. Let's read on. It was added because of transgression to the seed should come to whom the promise was made. And it was ordained by angels in the hand of a mediator. Now, a mediator is not a mediator of one, but God is one. Is the law then against the promises of God? God forbid. For if there had been a law given which could have given life, verily righteousness would have been by the law. But the scripture has concluded all under sin that the promise of faith by faith of Jesus Christ might be given to them that believe. But before faith came, we were kept under the law, shut up under faith, which should afterwards be revealed. Wherefore, the law was a schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ, that we might be justified by faith. But after that, faith has come, we're no longer under a schoolmaster, for you are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you have been baptized into Christ, you put on Christ. There is now, therefore, no more Jew, no Greek, there is neither bond nor free, there's neither male nor female, for ye are all one in Christ Jesus, and if ye be Christ, are you Christ today? Amen. I said, are you Christ today? Amen. Well, if ye be Christ, then are ye Abraham's seed. Singular. You, as an individual, are Abraham's seed. And heirs, heirs, according to the promise. You're an heir, according to the promise that God made to Abraham. Can you see that? So if you're Christ, you're Abraham's seed, and God says, I make my covenant with thee and your seed forever, who is Christ. And if you're in Christ, you're Abraham's seed. There's no difference. 
And you're an heir according to the promise that God made to Abraham from the beginning. Now notice, go to First Corinthians, Second Corinthians chapter 1. We are in Christ. We are Abraham's seed. We are heirs according to the promise that God made to Abraham. And whatever God said He would do for Abraham and Abraham's seed, He is going to do for you and going to do for me. Can you see that? Why? Because we're heirs according to the promise that God made. And if God made a promise, can He lie? Doesn't He have to perform it? Doesn't He have to make it good? Absolutely. We saw that. But now here, look at chapter 1, 2 Corinthians and verse 20. For all the promises, everybody say all the promises, all the promises. of God. God. Who made the promise? <clears throat> Who made the promise? God. Would God promise something He was not going to perform? Would God say, I promise to do for you this, 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 whenever there's a problem, whenever there's a difficulty, and if you need my strength and power, I will help you in your time of need. And there you are struggling, you have a problem, you have a difficulty, and, and there's, you need, you know, you're being pressed with, with all kinds of uh, uh, worry and doubt and anxiety and unbelief, and all this stuff is coming against you, and you need the strength of God, and you call upon Him, and He says, I was only fooling. Can He do that? I mean, you're racked with pain in your body and you're crying out for healing. And he says, I really didn't mean it. No. Can you do that? No. We didn't make the promises, beloved. God made the promises. And are you ready for this? All the promises of God. In who? Are you in Christ? Are you in Christ? Then you're Abraham's seed. An heir according to what? The promise. All the promises... Of God in Him, because He was the seed that God made the promise to through Abraham. True? Isn't that what Galatians 3 just said? The seed, one seed being Christ, okay, are, maybe, all the promises of God in Him are, I might do it. There's a Great possibility? No. A slim chance? No. All the promises of God in Him are yea amen. and amen, amen unto the glory of God by us. God. Now hold on here. What is He saying there? All the promises that God made, all the benefits that He offered, all the pledges that He made, all the statements of fact that are true with regard to the new covenant and God's relationship to man, you know what? All of them are yea and amen. Under the glory of God by us. Why? Because God wouldn't have said it if He didn't want you to have it. And He certainly wouldn't have gone through the, the effort of, of sealing it by blood where He could become a liar if He doesn't perform it. So next time someone says, how do you know God will do that for you? You say, I got inside information. Inside me and inside the Bible. I know that I've got a covenant with the Most High God. And God will do what He said. He watches over His Word to perform it. And all the promises of God are yea and amen. i got to know the promise though. Can you see that? I've got to know what God said He would do. So go on back to Genesis chapter 17 and verse 1. What promise did He make to Abraham? What did He say He would be? to Abraham. What did he say he would do for Abraham? I mean, God, believe me, beloved, does not mince words. I mean, when God says he's going to do something, when God reveals himself as someone, he backs up what he says by himself. 
And since he can swear by no greater, he swears by himself. And he seals it with blood. And he says, I cannot lie. I will not lie. There's no reason for doubt. And I'm doing all this so that you can have removed from you every ounce of doubt from your heart and from your mind. You'll know that I will do what I said I would do or I'm going to die. Now, that's all that God can do for us to remove the doubt problem. In Genesis chapter 17 and verse 1, And when Abram was ninety years old and nine, the Lord appeared to Abram and said unto him, I am the Almighty God. Walk before me and be thou perfect. The first thing he does is he says to him, I am and I will be unto you Al Shaddai. Al Shaddai or Al Shaddai. I am the God of plenty. I am more than enough. I am the all-sufficient one. I want you to know that whatever you need, Whatever you desire, I will be to you, Al Shaddai, the God who is more than enough. That's what he told Abraham. You be perfect or be sincere before me. I'll make my covenant between me and thee and will multiply thee exceedingly. Look at verse 7. I will establish my covenant between me and thee and thy seed after thee and their generations for an everlasting covenant to be a God Unto thee and to thy seed. Didn't it just say that he is, if you're in Christ, you're Abraham's seed? You know what God is saying to you? I will be a God to you. I will be Al Shaddai to you. I'll be Jehovah God to you. I will be Jehovah Rapha. I'll be Jehovah Jireh. I'll be Jehovah Sidkenu. I'll be Jehovah Shalom. I'll be Jehovah Nissi. I'll be Jehovah God to you. I'll provide all of your need. You'll serve me and love me. I'll make myself available to you. And whatever it is that you need, I'll be there to supply the need. And he made that to Abraham and his seed. And are you in Christ? Then you're Abraham's seed. And you're an heir according to the promise that he made Abraham. And that's not all he, he told him. You go on back and if you study this through, look at Deuteronomy chapter 28. See, we used to sing this song. Abraham's blessings are mine. Remember that song? Sometimes we sing about things that we don't really know about. Or we've not studied it through enough to discover what we're singing about. In Deuteronomy 28 and verse 1, It shall come to pass, if thou shalt hearken diligently unto the voice of the Lord thy God, to observe to do all His commandments, which I command thee this day, that the Lord thy God will set thee on high above all nations of the earth, and all these blessings shall come on thee and overtake thee, if thou hearken to the voice of the Lord thy God. Blessed shalt thou be in the city, blessed shalt thou be in the field, blessed will be the fruit of your body, the fruit of your ground, the fruit of your cattle, the increase of your kind, the flocks of your sheep. You'll be blessed in a basket, blessed in the store. You'll be blessed when you come in. You'll be blessed when you go out. And the Lord shall cause your enemies that rise up against you. You'll be smitten before your face. He shall come out against thee one way and flee from you in seven ways. In verse 13, And the Lord shall make you the head and not the tail. Thou shalt be above only, and thou shalt not be beneath. If you hearken to the voice of the commandments of the Lord your God to do them, which I command you to this day. What is he saying? He is saying, if you are entering into a covenant relationship with me and you obey the covenant, you are blessed coming in, you're blessed going out, you're blessed in the city, you're blessed in the field, you're blessed in the basket, you're blessed in the store. When your enemy comes out against you one way, he'll flee from you in seven different directions. And you're the head and not the tail. You're above and not beneath. Because Abraham's blessings are mine. Can you see what he's saying? And if that's not enough, go to chapter 7 of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 7. God's people perish for the lack of knowledge. What we should be looking for is more of the knowledge of God, beloved, because that's what produces faith. When Jesus said, dig deep and lay your found the foundation upon solid ground, He meant the blood covenant. Amen. 
Because that is the sure foundation upon which we build. Notice in Deuteronomy 7. And verse 9. Know therefore that the Lord thy God, He is God, the faithful God, which keepeth covenant and mercy with them that love Him, and keep His commandments to a thousand generations. And repent them that hate him to their face to destroy them. He'll not be slack to him that hateth him. He will repay him to his face. Thou shalt therefore keep the commandments and the statutes and the judgments which I commanded this day to do them. Wherefore it shall come to pass, if you hearken to these judgments and keep and do them, that the Lord thy God shall keep unto thee the covenant and the mercy which he swear. Notice that God continues to remind them that he swore, that he made a covenant and he has to keep it. And the mercy, and I will, verse 13, love thee, and I will bless thee, I will multiply thee, I will bless the fruit of your womb, and the fruit of your land, your corn, your wine, thine oil, the increase of thy kind, and the flocks of thy sheep, in the land which he swear, he keeps saying it over, I swear, I swear, I swear, we're told not to swear, God swore by himself, God swore by the covenant, God swore by the blood of Jesus. Thou shalt be blessed above all people. There shall not be male or female barren among you or among your cattle. And the Lord will take away from thee all sickness and put none of the evil diseases of Egypt, which thou knowest upon thee, but will lay them upon all them that hate thee. Beloved, these are the blessings that will come upon those that keep covenant with God. They will overcome us. They will overtake us. The blessings of God will come into our lives if we know that we are in covenant with God and we walk in line with the covenant. And as long as Israel kept the covenant, all these statements of fact, beloved, were realized in their lives. Go on back to Exodus chapter 1 and 2. And we'll close it right there for this morning. Very often we, we talk about how wonderful it was that God delivered Israel out of Egypt. And we talk about the many miracles that took place before Pharaoh and, and the armies of the Egyptians. But beloved, do we know that every miracle that took place, every mighty miracle working power of God that was manifested there to cause and demonstrate uh, miracles to unfold before their eyes that God is God in the heavens and God in the earth. You realize that every act of God that was committed there to get them out of Egyptian bondage was a direct result of the covenant that they had with God. Listen carefully. To give you the setting, in Exodus 1.8, Now there arose up a new king over Egypt which knew not Joseph. And he said unto his people, Behold, the people of the children of Israel are more than mightier than we. Come on, let us deal wisely with them and let us multiply. And it came to pass that wherein there falleth not any war. Uh, they, they join also unto our en enemies and fight against us and so get them up out of the land. Therefore, they did set over them taskmasters to afflict them with their burdens. And they built for Pharaoh treasure cities, Python and Rameses. And the more they afflicted them, the more they multiplied and grew. And there were, they, they were grieved because of the children of Israel. And the Egyptians made the, the children of Israel to serve with rigor. And they made their lives bitter with hard bondage in, in, in mortar and in brick and in all manner of service in the field. And all their service wherein they made them serve was, a, was with rigor. And so you can see that they're oppressed. You can see that they're, they're trying to destroy them or keep them weak so that they can't rise up to fight against them. Well, go on down to verse, chapter 2 and verse 23. 
I said that just to give you the setting. The king feared because the people were multiplying in Israel and they were bigger. They were there in Egypt, but they were getting, they were multiplying and they were gaining strength, they figured. And if the, if the enemy would come against them, feared for their lives. And so this is what he did. He caused it, it to be terrible for them. He made it difficult for them. They were oppressed. Egypt is a type of the world. You know, it can get tough in the world in which we live. Our society around us today makes things very difficult. It gets tough. People can get oppressed in the world. They're oppressed in the world or, or they're downtrodden or they're afflicted in the world just like they were over there in Egypt. They were God's people. They had a covenant with God, but they were oppressed. They were afflicted. They were downcast. They were downtrodden. Their countenance had fallen and they, just, they were under such a heavy burden they didn't know what to do. So finally, beloved, if you don't know and remind yourself of the covenant that you have with God, you can be that way. But you know what? In verse 23, look at what it says. It came to pass in the process of time... That the king of Egypt died and the children of Israel sighed by reason of the bondage. They mourned and they cried and their cry came up unto God by reason of the bondage. They were in such difficulty, such straits, such bondage. They could not tolerate it any longer. Well, listen, and God heard their groanings and God remembered his covenant. With Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And God looked upon the children of Israel, and God had respect unto them. Beloved, God's people were in bondage needlessly. They were afflicted needlessly. They were mourning needlessly. They were overpowered. They were overcome needlessly. They, were, they forgot their covenant with God. When they began to cry out, God remembered His covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God looked upon Israel. God had respect unto them. And that's when God moved and, and manifested Himself to a man by the name of Moses. And that's when He said, Go set my people free. And as a result of Pharaoh not wanting to let God's people go free, God remembering His covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob manifested himself in such a glorious way that every god of the Egyptian was brought down to his knees and destroyed. And God proved himself to be the God of all the heavens and God of all the earth. And the Egyptians had lost all their strength, all their ability, all their power. They were defeated as far as they were concerned. Every act of God that brought them out of Egypt was a direct result of the covenant that Israel had with God. And unless we see it that way, we just think that God just did something apart from the covenant, and He didn't. Let's all stand to our feet before God. Thank you for listening to our legacy teachings. We pray today's message has a profound impact upon your life and your ministry. I want you to know that God loves you, has a great plan for your life. But if you've never made Jesus Christ Lord and Savior of your life, I'd like to invite you to do that right now. Just pray this simple prayer right after me. Just say, Heavenly Father, I come to you just as I am and I believe with all my heart that Jesus died for my sins and was raised from the dead for me I open the door of my heart I call upon the name of the Lord Lord Jesus come into my heart now I receive you and accept you as my personal Savior and Lord if you prayed that prayer with me you're a child of God right now and I encourage you to get into a good Bible based church where you can learn to grow in your Christian faith and experience God bless